This week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by the New York Times. Right now, you can get a full digital subscription to the world's greatest newspaper for only $1 a week. That's $4 a month for the New York Times. Now, you can at any point read up to 10 free articles a month, but with news happening as fast as it does, that's kind of like reading the back cover of a book and then you think you know what the whole story is about. Like, for example, did you know that the back cover of the first Harry Potter novel, The Philosopher's Stone, or Sorcerer's Stone if you're American, do you know what it says? What it says is, Harry Potter thinks he is a normal boy, until he is rescued by an owl, taken to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, learns to play Quidditch, and does battle in a deadly duel. The reason? Harry Potter is a wizard. There. Now does that really tell you anything about the book other than some random facts? No, it doesn't. And you sound like the back cover of the first Harry Potter book when you talk about news that you aren't fully educated on. I guess what I'm trying to say is, let the New York Times for a dollar a week make you not sound like the back cover of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Head on over to nytimes.com to get started. Very quickly before we get started on the show, if you want to take five seconds of your time to tell someone about it that you think would like what we do here at Let's Talk About Chef, we would greatly appreciate it. The only reason that this podcast has grown to be as big as it is is because of listeners like you talking about it. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. That's it. That's enough for me. Let's get right into this brand new episode of Let's Talk About Chef. Twenty twenty has been a complete horror show of a year for most people. Now that could be considered a completely massive understatement. All over the world, people are suffering. Businesses are closing faster than you could believe. In Canada alone, more than 158,000 businesses have shuttered because of COVID-19. That number is in the millions around the world. It's dark and it's bleak and it sucks and it's terrible. But then 2020 decided to go ahead and pull one of the most terrible things imaginable. 2020 decided that it was high time to take away one of the most beloved and respected figures in television history. On November 8th, Alex Trebek passed away from stage 4 pancreatic cancer. After 37 years and some 8,200 episodes of a show that has been a fixture in pretty much everyone's life at some point. Canada mourned the loss of Alex tremendously. He was something of a national hero for us. All over the internet, people posted condolences and memories of his passing. And yet, there was one group of people that will miss Alex Trebek and his show more than any others. One group of people that have relied on his show playing at 7 o'clock for the last 25 years. The owners of dive bars. Today, on Let's Talk About Chef, we are looking into the history behind what has been called Jeopardy Economics. How the trivia show saved dive bars. And what's going to happen next. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Take 
Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You wanna be where you can see our troubles are all wrong the same. Dive bars, in my humble opinion, are magical places. You have one in your town. It's usually the place that your parents told you not to go to on weekends because the crowd can get a little too rowdy. Now, the word dive bar comes from 1880s and is used as a derogatory term to describe a crappy bar that couldn't afford rent on street level and were usually found in basements where customers could dive into them off the street without being noticed. Back in the day, dive bars or holes in the wall were places where people on the fringes of society would drink, gamble, and find prostitutes. There's old news footage you can find of preachers standing outside of dive bars, clutching Bibles and telling the sinners inside to repent their sins so they can go to heaven. The Oxford English Dictionary says that dive bars are considered a place of ill repute, an illegal drinking establishment that was located in a basement where patrons could dive in without being noticed and drink in peace. Illegal drinking dens were often hidden in plain sight across America, hiding in old grocery stores or pharmacies, basically anywhere that you could hold a wooden bar and some stools for people to go after working all day and they could drink to forget. Having a sign or having an open sign was nowhere to be seen, and usually the only way you could tell that there was a bar inside was from the sheer amount of cars parked outside of what looked to be a closed and dilapidated building. Dive bars were also dangerous places. Knife fights, gunfights, angry spouses showing up and dragging their wasted significant others out into the night, police raids, and even people killing each other all happened from time to time. And usually, threats of danger came with the territory of going to a dive bar. Police would raid the place for operating without a liquor license, only to pop open in a new location, or most often in the same spot, once the heat died down. Today, dive bars are usually places that play old blues music, rock and roll, maybe have one television and serve cheap domestic beer and Jim Beam and wild turkey. They are the places where a can of Pabst is fancy and a place that I absolutely miss in a post-COVID world. Now, of course, fancy bars are nice, and I love them. I mean, drinking a proper old-fashioned at a walnut bar with a leather apron bartender who looks like he was placed out of an old Western while Miles Davis or the Black Keys plays on a perfect speaker system, the lighting can even make me look attractive, that's a lot of fun. But there is something special and endearing about pulling up a stool and ordering a beer at a place where the bartender knows your first name and probably knows your father really well too. Most chefs and cooks can testify to the tradition of being in a restaurant where you cook with the finest ingredients all day and serve the classiest of clientele, only to when you're finally done your shift go to a local dive bar. Somewhere in the far reaches of my ambitions, I have always wanted to own a dive bar, 
because I think they're wonderful. And just for fun, there is a dive bar name generator on the internet where I went and typed in let's talk about chef as an example and then hit generate bar name. And it came up with the pickled tiger. Dive bars and hole in the walls are often not very financially successful endeavors. They usually break even. And in this restaurant business of razor thin margins, that is frankly pretty impressive. But a long time ago, a show started airing and people would come from their homes to sit in dives and drink and watch Alex Trebek ask questions. For the past almost four decades, the television in dive bars all across North America would crackle to life and Jeopardy would come on. Bar historians, which is a real job, are still unsure of when the Jeopardy tradition started in dive bars. Some suggest that it started back in the 1970s before Alex took over as host. Back then, the show was hosted by actor Arthur Fleming, who hosted the show from 1964 until 1975. It's thought that the Jeopardy watching in the 70s was because the show used to air at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, or perfect time for day drinkers to watch and bet along. There was actually somewhat of an uproar among bar owners when NBC switched the game to start airing at 10 o'clock a.m. to go up against the $10,000 pyramid. By the time Alex took over the show, it was changed to prime time in the coveted 7 p.m. slot. Most dive bars played the 6 o'clock local news after 5 o'clock happy hour, which would be followed by Jeopardy. And for half an hour, you could drink and watch something that felt similar and comforting. Watching Jeopardy at a bar with people shouting out answers and betting on Final Jeopardy was a national dive bar pastime. And as a bar owner, you would be stupid to not have a television dedicated to the game show. Betting on Jeopardy became such a big business that when satellite TV came out in the 90s, cheaters could watch that night's episode at 6 o'clock at home from a different time zone and then rush to the dive bar and bet big and win on Final Jeopardy. There's a story that a man in New York State did this for so long that when he was finally caught, he was shot in the kneecap in the bar by the bar owner. When you really think about it, Jeopardy seems like the perfect fit for dive bar culture. People can show off their knowledge after a few drinks and there's no politics or opinions that can result in people getting worked up. It's over before most sports start and it's less work and cost than having pub trivia. There's even a long-standing dive bar knowledge about the show itself that patrons talk about while the show's on. Like, did you know that bidding $69 is against the rules? And you can't bid $666 either. You also can't bet $1488 or $1488 because those numbers are affiliated with white supremacy. 
or the fact that as a game, Jeopardy doesn't know what would happen if all three contestants had zero or negative amounts going into Final Jeopardy because it's never happened before. Also, there's a game strategy called the Forest Bounce, named after a 1985 contestant named Chuck Forrest, who would bounce around the board with no apparent concern for daily doubles or dollar amounts at all, making his opponents confused, and he won a lot of money. Jeopardy was so popular in bars that seminal dive bar television show Cheers even had an episode where Cliff was a contestant on the game show when it traveled to Boston. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome, Cliff. This is the very first time we have taken our program out on location. And what better Cliff, place to start up? than in the historic well, this is a special day for Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> we have three new contestants with us today, one of them at least, very eager to show how bright he is. So let's get right to it. Players, good luck. We're now going to play the first round of Jeopardy. And here are the categories for you. Civil servants. Stamps from around the world. Mothers and Sons, Beer, Bar Trivia, and finally, Celibacy. If you want to come across backstage, this has got to be Mr. Clavin's dream board. Sure, he's home free, as long as he doesn't get too cocky. Cliff, could I get you to pick a category and an amount? Why don't you go ahead and pick anyone you want? I mean, I am feeling lucky today. Whoa! Seconds. Can you believe it? Mr. Clavin's going into final jeopardy with $22,000. Yeah, and I'm really depressed, too. Why? Well, I know he's going to blow it before I have a chance to hit him up for a loan. Come on, he's way ahead. There's no way he can lose. Well, you got to have faith, Woody. Three, two... Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Our final Jeopardy category is movies. In a moment, contestants, I'll give you the clue. You'll then have 30 seconds to write down your question. Here we go. Our final Jeopardy answer is Archibald Leach, Bernard Schwartz, and Lucille Lesseur. Good luck, players. over there to see what Agnes is writing down, are you? Uh, no, Alex, I wouldn't try anything sleazy like that. I, uh, I was just admiring the cut of her jacket. Uh, very shapely for a mother of six, if I might say. There you are. you've got about five seconds to go. All right, all right. Here's the makeup guy. Mr. Clavin's starting to look a little pasty. You would, too, if you bet everything you had and didn't know the oh, answer. Makes you think he doesn't know the answer. A lot of people wouldn't have noticed, Woody, but there's a little stream of blood trickling down his chin where he's bitten through his lower lip. Agnes, what did you put down? Who are Tony Curtis, Cary Grant, and Lucille Ball? You're still very close, but you're incorrect, unfortunately, and that means it's going to cost you $2,900. That takes you down to $400. 
And it takes us to Cliff. Cliff, good news for you. Both of your opponents came up with incorrect responses. And what that means is that even if you're wrong, as long as you didn't do anything foolish like wager everything, you're a cinch winner. Well, then we, uh, we don't have to see my answer, do we there, Alex? Listen, we see you at the uh, Tournament of Champions. <laughs> We're running out of time, and we are going to have to take a look at your response. You wrote down... Who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? No, I'm sorry, that too is wrong. The correct response is, what were the real names of Cary Grant and Tony A lot of people are going to be sad when Jeopardy! finally ends on December 25th of this year. Alex Trebek has been a fixture of most of our lives at some point. But dive bars will feel that loss a little bit more. They've relied on Jeopardy! and Alex Trebek hosting it, for almost 40 years. COVID-19 keeps people away from bars. And on Christmas Day, when the dive bars, if they can in fact open and socially distance properly, in cities where they're allowed to, will of course turn on the televisions one last time to honor that dive bar Jeopardy tradition. But chances are that they won't be able to open. And if you have cable on Christmas Day, Open up a can of beer and watch the last time Alex Trebek will host Jeopardy in honor of the man himself and the four-decade-long dive bar tradition. At the end of this pandemic, at the end of these lockdowns and shutdowns, who really knows what the restaurant and bar world will look like? It'll be different. It will have changed. And hopefully it'll change for the better. But all we can say for certain is that at 7 p.m., Maybe a different show will take over. A new tradition will happen. A new way to enjoy yourself from 7 to 7.30 will exist in bars that needed it the most. I hope that you enjoyed this short and odd episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me, Brian Clark. Again, if you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com. We will be back soon with another new episode, and so until then, as always, have a great service, and have a great week. So keep watching Jeopardy! 24 hours a day, and call this number. You dumb son of a bitch, you don't watch it 24 hours a day. There's a daily cash prize of $1,000, and fuck, no shit. Call now and play phone Jeopardy! She drank the poison that Captain Hook intended for Peter Pan. Tinkerbell! Fuck him. been this close before never been so easy or so slow i've been shooting in the dark too long when something's not right it's wrong you're gonna make me loads when you go dragon clouds so high above i've only known careless love it always has hit me from below but this time round it's more correct right on target so direct you're gonna make me loads Purple clover, queen and lace, crimson hair, a 
across your face You can make me cry if you don't know Can't remember what I was thinking of You might be spoiling me too much love You're gonna make me lonesome when you go Flowers on the hillside blooming crazy Crickets talking back and forth in rhyme Blue river running slow and lazy Stay with you forever and never realize the time. Situations have ended sad, relationships have all been bad. Mine have been like Belaine's and Rambo. But there's no way I can compare all them scenes to this affair. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. Mm -hmm. 